Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Colossians. That's where we've been uh, these, these past weeks as we've been uh, anticipating the celebration of, of Christmas. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, if you have a Bible, we invite you to join us. If you don't, there's a Bible uh, in front of you, in the pew back in front of you, and you can find this reading on page 954 of that particular Bible, or of course you can go to your mobile device, you can download the Grove Church app, and you can click the Bible tab and it will be there. Uh, We've been using two verses from Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, as our foundational text for our Advent reflections this year. Let me just read those verses to you. Verse 19 of Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have all of the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we've been thinking about this as in using these verses as our guide. First of all, recognizing in verse 19 that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him who is Christ, the incarnation. God took on flesh, the enfleshment of God himself there in this beginning. And so the first week we looked at the incarnation and the wonder that God took on flesh. And then we moved into verse 20. And through him, the purpose of the incarnation was to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth and things in heaven. Reconciliation, that God is restoring and reconciling his creation to himself. He's reconciling all things. By making peace, last week we looked at being at peace with God and the very peace of God that transcends our circumstances, that is for those who are a part of his family, the peace of God. So we looked at the incarnation, we looked at reconciliation, we looked at the peace that comes from the incarnation, and then finally, salvation. Through his blood shed on the cross. Through his blood shed on the cross. This week, I think, recently, at least within the last two weeks, my wife had asked me what my favorite Christmas carol was, or is. And I, and I, I, don't, I, I said, I don't know. And the more I reflected on that particular question, um, I, I was thinking, well, I can answer that in so many ways, because there are some of my favorites, like um, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. You know, that's a good one. I've, some, uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas, always just, you know tugs at the heartstrings. This is good. But then I started thinking of carols that have a bit more meaning, I think. You know, um, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful is one of my favorites. Um, Oh, Holy Night, which we just sang, one of my favorites. Uh, Silent Night is one of my favorites, which we'll sing this evening. But if you, if you read, if you had a chance to read the post that I, I put on our blog for our church blog this week, then I made mention of a particular, particular carol, Joy to the World. Not one of my favorites, yet still good. Um, but joy, joy to the world. There, there's one particular line um, in that song that has just been resonating with me this Advent season. You, you may know the lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. The line for me is, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. God sent his son to take on flesh. 
God sent his son to reconcile the world to himself, heaven and earth, reconciled through Jesus. Jesus came, God sent his son Jesus to make peace, peace with God and peace in the hearts of those who are his children. God sent his son in the incarnation, but there was no room for him here. There was no room for him. You may recall the very first Christmas night that there was no room for him in Bethlehem. Let me remind you, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary. He was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married, and because of the census that was going to be taken, they had to travel, and they traveled to Bethlehem in order that they might be able to do their duty, that they might be able to register. And while they were there, the time came for the child to be born, but there was no room for them. There was no room for them. Now, some would suggest, as I grew up thinking that this was, and it may have been, that it was an inn, as in like a motel, hotel, holiday inn, you know, kind of a thing, and the Bethlehem version of it. You know, that's kind of my thinking, and it was just, they were just sold out for the night. There were just no vacancies, and the innkeeper just wouldn't allow them in and said, well, maybe we can go into this barn, and there, maybe this will work for you. And that may be some scholars, some biblical scholars saying, well, that's not exactly right. What's more accurate would probably be that Joseph had family that was there, and Joseph's family had no room for them, and so they were able to kind of put them in the sort of shed area that was where the animals stayed. And either way, I don't know for sure, you can, we can debate these things, but either way, what we do know is that in Bethlehem, there was no room for the incarnate God who was about to come. There was no space for him. Instead, instead of being in a home, instead of being in a room, instead of that giving birth to God himself in a manger and placing him in a manger, could there be any more humble beginning to the human life of our Savior? There was no room for him in Bethlehem. Not only was there no room for him in Bethlehem, but there was no room for him in the world. The gospel writer John, in his gospel, the first chapter, speaks of Jesus coming as the, as the light. And this is what he says in verse 9. The true light, meaning Jesus, the true light that comes or that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And, through the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus, the one who is the true light and gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Though he's the one who created the very world that he was coming into, the world that he was now coming into did not recognize him. There was no room for him on earth. There was no room for him in the world. 
There was no room for him among the elites, among the rich, among the powerful of the day. You may remember when the Magi came, the Magi came from the east, and they went to Herod, they went to the palace, they went to see the king, they went to see the powerful, they went to see the rich, because of course, if there was a king that was born in Bethlehem, wouldn't he be born in a palace? When the Magi arrived and they talked to Herod, he had no idea what they were talking about. He went to his religious advisors and said, what is going on here? What are, what are they talking about? And they said, oh, haven't you read the prophecies? Don't you know? Of course he didn't. So then Herod, he wanted to get more information from the Magi. That didn't happen. God, God sent the Magi a different way back to their home. And when Herod had realized that he had been tricked, do you remember what he did? He had every single child under the age, every single boy under the age of two in Bethlehem killed. That's what it, there was no room for a king. There was no room for Jesus amongst the powerful, amongst the elites of the day. There was no room for Jesus among the religious among, uh, and of the day. There was no room for Jesus among the religious elites or the religious leaders. If you read the New Testament all throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Jesus having interactions with the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who were supposed to be guiding the people towards God. And here we have Jesus, the Messiah, God incarnate, God in flesh, and they, all they were doing is trying to fight with him, they were trying to change him, they were trying to correct him, they were trying to trap him, they were trying to kill him, ultimately. There was no room for Jesus among the religious elites. God himself came in flesh and there was no room for him. There was no room for him amongst the rich and powerful. There was no room for him among the religious elites. There was no room for him. And that may be where some of you find yourself this morning. As you think, as you, you find yourself here uh, because for whatever reason, you find yourself here because of an invitation or because, and you, 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 you have questions with regards to spiritual things. You don't know about this whole Jesus thing, quite frankly. You are not a huge fan of religion in general because somehow you think the whole idea of religion is beneath you. Somehow you think the whole idea of this sort of kind of mythology is beneath you, that somehow we as a human, as a humanity, have advanced beyond this kind of sentimental crutch. Well, know that if, you're, if that is a description of you here this morning, know that you're not the first. That those who have found themselves thinking themselves to be superior to Jesus have been doing so for some time. The elites have always had a difficult time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, God in flesh, did not come to a palace. He did not come to the rich. He did not come to the powerful. He didn't come into the intellectual, the intelligentsia of the day. He didn't come as an elite. No, he came to the poor. And he walked among the needy. And God came as a baby. He didn't, there was no room for him among the elites. You say, well, I'm sure amongst the middle class, amongst the common folk, there. There he would have had a, a, more, a much more warm reception. We, 
can tend to think about sometimes to amuse ourselves by thinking that the, the common folk were more charitable or sympathetic than the rich and the powerful. The middle class, of course, we say, are the everyday folks, folks like you and me. Clearly, we would be the more sensible ones. We might be tempted to think that the regular people would have been more accepting of Jesus and who he was. But the prophet Isaiah says, we all, all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's not hard to imagine why normal common folk had no room for, for Mary and for Joseph. I mean, I, I mean if, maybe if they just would have done a better planning on that first Christmas, they would have had a room. I mean, think about it. It seems a little late, doesn't it? Maybe if they just had more money, then they would have been able to pay. Maybe if they would have had better relationships with Joseph's family, if they just would have done some, some simple planning, like, like normal people ought to do, maybe they would have, there would have been room for them somehow. Now, there is... The normal average folk were no more accepting of Jesus' arrival. There was no room for him there either amongst the rich and powerful, nor amongst the everyday people. And I'm wondering if there's much more of a warmer reception among us this morning. One commentator writes, Every chamber of the soul is so filled with human interests that there is little room for Christ. There is little vital interest in him. There is little, if any, time for him. And this is so simply because it is demanded by a thousand other things. Other interests is drawn off in a thousand other directions. And our life is crowded to the full with possessions and pleasures until, strange though it may seem, there is no room for the Savior except in the manger. And so we here we find ourselves on the morning of Christmas Eve 2017. And here you are, and I'm thrilled that you're here to join, join us. But I, I wonder, if, in, if, if you were to be honest with yourself, if you say, I don't know in my own heart if there hasn't been but little room in my heart for Jesus this, this Advent season. Because we get so distracted. Because we get so pulled away in a, in a thousand other directions. Because after all, it's supposed to be holly and jolly. And we have to bake cookies. And we have presents to wrap. And we have things to buy. And after all, we need to spend time on Amazon after. We need to make sure that everybody has everything, that the lists are all. And then there's the normal stuff like work and family and relationships and sporting events and all of the stuff that crowds into our lives. And the next thing you know, even to our own surprise, there is little room for Jesus, for the Savior. I wonder if Jesus is in the manger of your life or if he's actually been on the throne of your life this Christmas season. The song says, the carol says, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Have you allowed your heart to receive Jesus as king? You see, until the Lord has entered the door and reigns on the throne of your life, you cannot regard yourself in any better position than those who are in the inn or the family members that were comfortably asleep while the Savior of the world, by when God himself came, 
blissfully unaware. Well, it's possible that some of you come and say, yes, I understand, but my life has just been such a mess. You don't understand the 12, last 12 months or the last six months of my life. It's just been, it's just been a complete disaster. If I, if I can just clean myself up just a wee bit more, then, then, I, will, then I will give consideration God came to a stable. Seems messy to me. He's not waiting for you to clean up your life. You say, well, yes, I understand, but to be honest with you, to have Jesus on the throne of my life, to completely surrender myself to him, it's a, it's a fearful thing. If I'm honest... I like having control. I feel afraid. There's an old, not old, he's, past, he's a former pastor and now with the Lord some years ago now. Bible teacher, Harry Ironside is his name, and he once told a story that I'd like to share with you. The story of an old woman who was in distress because of her deep poverty. She was living in a small room in London. And she was afraid that one day the police would come and arrest her because of her debts. And it just so happened that a good Christian pastor, a Christian minister, heard of her plight and raised money to pay off her creditors. And then he had had a receipt for the debts that he had paid, and he had put it into his pocket. And with some additional provisions for her present needs, he went to go find her. And he spoke to the neighbors. The neighbors knew her only as Old Betty. And so when he had got to the building where she lived, the minister asked, Can you tell me where Old Betty lives? He was told to go up the stairs to a certain room. And when he got to the door, he knocked. And he waited. But there was no answer. He knocked again. No answer. He called out, Old Betty, are you there? Nothing. At last, he went back down the stairs and started to leave. But as he left her, the neighbors asked him, Did you find her? No, he answered, she's not in. Oh, she's in all right. She's just not letting you in. She's afraid you're one of her creditors. She's just not opening the door. And when he heard this, the minister went right back up the stairs to the room, and he called out, Old Betty, let me in. I'm the minister, and I've come to see you. Oh, came a voice from within. I thought you were the police. I was afraid to open the door. And when the door finally opened, the minister told her that her friends had raised money to cancel her debt and that he had paid the debt and that he'd sent, and they'd sent him to tell her that and to give her the receipt and to present her with some additional amount of money for her current needs. Old Betty was overwhelmed and she was embarrassed. And she said, just think, she said. I locked and bolted the door against you. I was afraid to let you in. Then Ironside says, And you and I are old Betty, and the minister is Christ. We have been afraid to open the door to him. We sometimes think that if we will, if we will, if we will allow Christ to, to take reign and control of our lives, that somehow he's going to make us move to Africa and be missionaries. Or he's going to make us... No. This God, this Christ who came, he came at such lengths in order that you might be able to experience his reconciliation, 
in order that you might be able to experience the cancellation of your debt between you and God. He came in order that you might be able to experience his love. That we might be able to throw off these things that have distracted us, that we might be able to make room in our hearts for this Savior, for this Christ. I came across a prayer that I want to share with you. Father, help us make much of Jesus. Forgive us for finding greater joy in deals and family gatherings than in Christ. Forgive us for looking forward with so much grand expectation to the gifts on Christmas while we neglect so great a gift of your salvation and have little joy in Jesus' coming. Forgive us for mocking the innkeeper who had no room in Jesus' first coming while we have no room for him today or his second coming. Forgive us for enduring a day of worship claiming that we're all so busy with Christmas. Forgive us for loving the season with seemingly endless money and time to shop but have little money or time for your church, for your mission, or for your gospel. Help us to live better. Help us to love better. As I read the prayer, I felt the work of the Spirit of God in my heart. I wonder if yours. We spend so much time and so much attention on all these things that are fun, they're fine, they're wonderful things. But friends, they're not the thing. They're not the thing. We, weren't, we were built for relationship with God. Have you made him room in your heart? I do have to tell you, though, be honest with you, that as you make room and continue to make room for Christ in your heart, then there will be increasingly no room for you in the world. Jesus came into a world that he made, and the world did not recognize him. And those who follow after him will be sent out into a world, and as you resemble Christ, the one whom we follow, then the world will, will seem stranger and stranger to you. And you, the world, as you follow after Christ, will not applaud you and say, well done. Jesus had his disciples, his 12 men, that he was pouring his life into. And at one point, he sends them out. If you can read this in the, the 10th chapter of Luke, verse 16 says this. He said this to his, to his followers, to his disciples. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, or rejects me, rejects him who sent me. If, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And if they reject me, they're rejecting the one who sent me, my father. Or in John chapter 15, again, Jesus is talking to his followers and says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If, belonging to, if you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. When we have Christ as the center point, and though we are seeking to honor him with the way in which we live our lives, though we're seeking to obey him with the way in which we love others and live out our lives, though we seek to do our, live our lives for the common good of humanity, and yet the world doesn't recognize, and the world 
will have no room for you. And the reason is because the world had no room for Christ. Had no room for him. But lest you be discouraged on this Christmas Eve morning, know that Jesus has a room for you. He will always have a room for you, for those who are his. He has gone to prepare a place for you. In John chapter 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you that I'm going to prepare. Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. We weren't made just for this earth. We weren't made just for this time and this place. No, we were made for eternity. That Christmas is ultimately about eternity. Christmas is ultimately about God reconciling a world to himself. That one day he will make all things right. One day he will make all things new. One day you and I will know what it is to be in the very presence of Almighty God where he restores all things and there will be no tear. One day as we long for this, as we look forward to the second advent, to the second coming of Christ, and there will be room for you. He is preparing a place for you. There will be a seat with your name on it at the table of the great wedding feast of the Lamb just for you. And you're invited there, not based on your own merits, but because God came and took on flesh, because God came as a baby to reconcile a world to himself. There will be a place for you. So the question is, are you ready to serve Christ on these terms? Will you serve him? When there is no room below, only a cross. Yet knowing that he who went to the cross has gone to prepare a place for you in heaven and will one day restore you, restore all things. I recently heard a story of a teenage girl. She was raised in the church. She had heard sermons like this a thousand times over. She knew the Bible stories, she could quote you Bible verses, but she also knew in her own heart that she had not yet been reconciled to God. And recently, she had an encounter with God. She knew that she, her life wasn't what it ought to be. She thought if she could just, if it just wasn't her time. Her time was going to come. And then she had an experience with God and he, she sensed the spirit of God, the voice of God, saying now, come now. And she did. And she made room in her heart for Christ. She made room in that particular moment for him. She responded and made room. Book of Hebrews says, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Have you heard the voice of God? Has the Spirit of God been calling make room for me, then make room for him. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let's pray. Father, 
you came to this earth in order that we might be able to be a part of your family. You made room for us by coming and taking on flesh. And now, Father, will you, by your spirit, help us to make room in our hearts for you? Will you help us to, to confess areas where we have not allowed you to be a part of our lives? And maybe for some of us here this morning for the very first time, recognizing and hearing your voice that today, Christmas Eve 2017, was the first time that they bowed down to the king who had come in a manger. They bowed down to you, recognizing who you are and what you've done in order that we might be able to, they might be able to spend eternity with, with you. We come in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.